0: Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, and parents about evidence-based practice and learning.
1: Welcome everyone to the Learning Scientist Podcast. My name is Dr. Cindy Niebel. I am a lecturer at Vanderbilt University in their education doctoral program in leadership and learning in organizations. I am joined here today by Dr. Laura Nevins and Dr. Frank Patronella. Um, the two of them have been doing some really interesting work applying some of the learning scientist strategies, um, specifically to professional development. And they've really dug into their research for how to best. Uh, Employ professional development to make learning sticky. So, I am going to let each of them introduce themselves and then
0: uh, we'll go from there. So, um, you want to start with you, Laura? Sure. Thank you again for having us on. Um, My name is Laura Nevins and I am from St. Simons Island, Georgia. I have been in education for 15 years, originally started out my career as a school counselor, and I've turned into an upper school uh, vice principal, as well as the director of college placement at the school that I currently work at. Very cool. Um, And Frank, how about you?
2: Hi, I am Frank Patronella. I am an educator from Plano, Texas, a suburb of Dallas. I have 21 years in education, K-12. And uh, I've been a former teacher, instructional coach, and a principal in a pre-K through sixth grade setting. And I've also had the opportunity to lead professional development and adult learning with the teacher advancement program. Um across the country as well as uh, training within my district.
1: yeah, that's great. so we definitely have some professional development experience here. um so it's it's no wonder necessarily that that you guys were you know maybe interested in in some professional development stuff. but I know that you didn't just go on your own experience here. you definitely um have these ideas that we're going to talk about today rooted in research rooted in literature. So maybe you can just start with, um, talking a little bit about how this project got started and, um, what the sort of theoretical foundation is before we get into, um, we're going to talk about some some real practical tips for folks who are listening, who might be interested in uh, applying some of this and making their professional development better. Um, we're going to talk about those, but let, let's start from the beginning here, and maybe you guys can
0: just give a little bit of, of background and, and some of that theoretical foundation. Sure. Yeah. So Frank and I um, partner with an organization with the goal of helping them. Better, better understand how workshop participants that the organization was leading were applying new learning. So, how they were applying what was being taught in the workshops, um, both in the short term so soon after the workshop ended, and then the long-term, a, a period of time after the workshops had ended. Um, and our initial research really circled around what the organization's mission was and and what literature was sharing kind of best practices on how to make that material sticky. We kept coming back around to three um, key areas, motivation, social connection, and reflection. And, and Really, these three areas were a focal of of how people develop habits. So we found that these specific areas were significant related, significantly related to helping people build habits and applying what was being taught to them, what they're what they were being learned. Um, so that's how we kind of started. And and we've all, Frank and I, were in education, and we've we have both been in a substantial amount of professional development during our years as educators um, we know both as educational leaders as well as individuals who have just gathered professional development for our own well-being that when you invest in professional development you're investing your time and your money and so you want to get you want to get something out of it you want to make it meaningful you want to make it sticky in both the short term and long term and ultimately change habits um or just learn for the sake of learning. So that's kind of how we started on this adventure of of figuring out how to make learning sticky through our organization that we partnered with, um, which has led us to a whole new kind of journey. Yeah. So one thing
1: I want to mention real quick is, um, you know, these these three sort of buckets that you guys were looking at, motivation, social connectedness, and reflection. Do I have that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, So you guys are talking about adult learning, right? And so even though you guys are are, are both educators with lots, 36 combined years of experience, um, that's a lot of experience in education. Um, even though we're really talking about adult learners here, I want to make sure we also note that that these concepts are true for any age as well, right? That if if we really want to make learning sticky, All of these concepts are important. As learning scientists, we mostly focus on cognitive principles, right? But this is a little bit more all-encompassing, talking about motivation behind learning, talking about the social interaction that folks have. Certainly, we talk a little bit about reflection, but that's important too. And um, so I just kind of want to note that, right? We're really talking about adult learning theory here. But honestly, if we could also take these principles and apply them to K through 12 education, we have the opportunity to improve that as well. Does that does that ring true for you guys?
2: One hundred percent, especially because we we know there is a continuum that pedagogy for learning for young people is at one end of the continuum. Then you have andragogy, which is adult learning. And then as that adult learning becomes more self-determined, where people are becoming motivated on their own to um, address their learning needs, it becomes more pedagogical um, which is the higher end of that spectrum. So absolutely, what we're talking about here applies to young people as well as people who are becoming more self-determined in their learning.
1: Yeah, I love that. Um, do you guys want to elaborate a little bit more on kind of each of those buckets a little bit before we get into kind of the the nitty gritty like application part? So maybe just want to talk about each of those in turn and and kind of what you learned, broadly speaking.
2: Of course, Laura. I'll I'll start if that's okay. Um, so we started really broad. Um, we I mentioned Andrew Godi. We started looking at adult learning theories with Malcolm Knowles, and just how do adults learn? Uh, we looked at his six principles that came up. Um, we really looked deeply at that, but we knew that. For adult learners, the ultimate goal was for people to be self-motivated, have that intrinsic motivation to want to learn on their own. That's the dream for any kind of professional development is to have teachers, have professionals want to apply the learning on their own. So that's when we started looking a little bit at Huda and, you know, how people become more self-determined learners. We really... In our study of this, we came across um, a lot of different theories, but one that that really resonated with us was self determination theory uh, by Ryan and Deci. And the the main reason this one stuck with us is they have a spectrum of motivation that goes from a motivation to extrinsic motivation all the way to intrinsically motivated. So on the lower end, the a motivation, whenever you're just not driven to do anything, it's, you're, you'd rather just sit and let the world pass you by, not really being involved. Um, extrinsically motivated. There are three different levels of that. But um, the main focus with extrinsic motivation is that you're being driven by some sort of outside factor. Um, and on the higher end of extrinsic motivation, it can almost start looking like intrinsic motivation because you're still doing it maybe because of an outside factor, but also because you're interested in it or it fulfills some sort of need or it's your career and it'll help you get to the next move in your career path. Uh, But then the ultimate goal is that intrinsic motivation, being able to do something purely for the sake of wanting to learn and wanting to apply that in your life because you just love it and you're you're passionate about and you enjoy it. So that really started our path.
1: So related to motivation, I think when we're talking about professional development and maybe especially in education, you can absolutely see the entire spectrum there, right? Um, so I know the, the organization you guys were working with, these are people who signed up for a workshop, right? So they're probably pretty intrinsically motivated, but when we're talking about a lot of professional development, people aren't necessarily volunteering to go. And so we can have people who are A, motivated, People who are there, you know, because they want to keep their jobs or they want to please the the administrators or whatever. And then you might have some people who actually are excited to be there. So I think it's just important to note that when we're when we're talking about motivation and professional development, especially in education, we really do have the full spectrum that we're working with there. And so our hope is is to move people into that intrinsic or at least more extrinsic than than a motivation for sure.
2: And I think that one of the big pieces with that is we know that not everyone's going to be intrinsically motivated. And really, it's it's probably more rare than than we think that people come to something purely with intrinsic motivation. Um, but the sweet spot here of what our study focused on was how to get people as, as close to intrinsic motivation, as high on that extrinsic motivation spectrum as possible. And a lot of the strategies that we came across and things that we uh, recommended to our organization helped to do that, to move people closer to, even if they never get to that fully intrinsically motivated state, um, very powerfully motivated as at the high end of the extrinsic level.
1: All right. So that's motivation.
2: Sure. Some other things that we really um, targeted with with um Ryan and Desi's theory, self-determination theory, was something that kept coming up was autonomy, relatedness, and competence. It's the three pillars. Um, and we Laura and I really looked deeply at these three because they seem to connect with motivation, social connection and reflection. Um, and so these three areas, focusing on autonomy, uh, being able to help people become more self-determined, being um, having that intrinsic motivation, but also feeling uh, that they have some sort of um, ability to do this learning and this work, that um, self-efficacy feeling like they can do it and and having that confidence. Um, and then goal setting theories. We looked at um, goal setting theories, focusing on Edwin Locke and um, really thinking about how individuals can set goals. We looked at different strategies for setting goals, like what are the best ways? What are things that aren't productive of setting goals? But then also one layer that we added on top of that was that Goals really needed to have some sort of system or structure around them. You can't just set a goal; you have to really build the structures. And so, training, leading training that has structures and systems built around it will help with that. And then um, we looked at growth mindset by Carol Dweck. So those were some of the other things we looked at with motivation. Um, and I'll let Laura um, talk a little bit more about social connection and reflection.
0: Yeah. So I think social connection is one when you when you initially glance at you think of teenagers, or you think of kids and connecting to one another in a classroom, but what we came across was the power of social connection with adults is tremendous, and we relied on the work of Albert Bandora's social learning theory really to to get information regarding the core foundation of that social connection piece within a learning environment, and we also dug really deeply um, in trust building and in connecting with others, but needing that sense of trust in order to connect with others. And then our research on reflection really focused on um, reflecting on practice, but then also reflecting in practice with Donald Schön's work um, and just focusing on reflection as an actual activity of the mind, um, getting to know our feelings in the body and our emotions um, to really develop that sense of reflection during an actual experience that we're encountering. Um, we also look looked at habit, as you mentioned before, um, specifically with um, James Clear's work on developing habits, how they're formed and how they're maintained as well.
1: And so through this process, you guys have a lot of different kind of theoretical foundation here, which is fantastic, right? You're really coming at this um, with, with solid grounding in previous literature, which I think is really good. As you guys were working with your organization, my understanding is that that you found some things where it wasn't perfect and other things that they were actually were doing pretty well. So maybe you guys can elaborate a little bit on on both sides, right? The the things that you found were eh, maybe not great and other
0: things that that were pretty good. Well, one of the things I think that's important to note is that the participants who entered the workshop that we we did this study on, they were from an array of different backgrounds. They were in different geographic locations. This was a virtual workshop. So, people had the ability to actually sign up from the workshop in all different Um, actually different areas, not just of the United States, but the world. There were international um, participants in this workshop as well. So they're coming to the table with different backgrounds, different experience levels, different industries, um, and also different familiarity with the content itself of the actual workshop. So some people were novice in terms of understanding what the main premise of the workshop was, Was And other people would probably consider themselves more of that mastery, um, had mastery level abilities when it came to some of the information that was being shared and and particularly um, the ways in which that material was being shared. But what we did notice was that through the workshop itself. Um, people were highly motivated. Again, they were signing up to actually complete this workshop and that they were actually applying what was being taught, what they were learning in the short term following the workshop, which we, we considered about um, two to three weeks after the workshop as short term. But when we went around and circled back with those participants who engaged in the workshop, we found that 60 weeks after the workshop had ended, that material wasn't sticky anymore, that they had forgotten or that they just weren't applying because it hadn't become a true habit, um, what was being learned in the actual workshop itself? There's like pros and cons there, right? It's great to have folks who are
1: motivated enough uh, in the content to immediately start working on that. But the fact that that, you know, just, Goes off so quickly that it, that it, you know you no
0: longer have folks uh, engaging in that. Just did you say six weeks, Laura? Is that right? Six to eight weeks was what we what we deemed as long term, and and we found that just that material, what they had learned, while well, if you mentioned it to them, they would say, "Oh yeah, I remember learning that," but they actually weren't applying it. They weren't digging deeper and actually changing habits um, to to reflect what they had learned through the workshop. Right. And
1: especially for the person who's in charge of the budget for that workshop, like that has to be like, oh,
2: no. <laughs> Another thing that that we noted was that in the workshop, there was a lot of new terminology, a lot of um, phrases and content that may be new to individuals. And in the discussion, a lot of the participants stated that the content was very abstract and the concepts were abstract, and they struggled to translate that to being more practical, concrete things that they can apply in their daily life. So that's something we really want to look deeper at is like, how do we help them to take these abstract concepts and make them more specific and um, doable in their daily life? And then we, most workshops, especially if there's some space in between sessions, there's usually some sort of homework or takeaway activity that goes along with them. And this was something that that the participants really struggled with. Um, they didn't find a lot of meaning in that homework. Um, they felt like it wasn't necessarily effective, especially just filling out questions in a workbook. Um, so we we really wanted to think also about like, how can we make this less rigid to where people have some choice, some autonomy in this area uh, to be able to apply the homework to really reflect in a way that's more personal to them, to their own learning style. And we did notice what stuck was that they loved learning with their peers. Overwhelmingly, the participants stated that they felt a sense of belonging, they felt connected to their cohort and their group, um, and that they really said over and over that they wanted to be with these people ongoing. Um, in addition, some of the, the content that stuck with them were the things that were repeated over and over and over again. So the content that was repeated and even things that were very novel, um, even eight weeks after the course, people remembered those phrases or those concepts better than others.
1: Which makes sense, right? Spacing and uh, repeated review. That's that's good. We know that. Um so I'm hearing you tell me that um, one of the things they did really well was creating these sort of social connections, um, that that was a really, really good thing. Um, as an educator uh, of, of adult learners myself, I can say that I've experienced that, but I also know what a challenge that is. That when you have people who come into a room who don't know each other very well, they um, it's really difficult to try to establish those those social connections and create that space. So um, I, I guess i'm I'm curious how you feel
0: like they did that. how How did they make those those social connections work for them? Well, well, I think um, one thing that was evident from the start was they weren't afraid of being vulnerable themselves. And I think that they really did a great job of modeling the behavior that they wanted the participants to be engaged in. Um, you know, they were facilitating discussion, but they weren't necessarily actively engaged in all aspects of that discussion. And, and for that, they really relied on small breakout groups, which we found to be tremendously successful um, during this fan of this workshop. So while things were introduced in large group settings, they really created the space to have participants in the workshop become more vulnerable themselves by forming these smaller groups and and breaking conversation down into more bite-sized comfortable um discussions in those small groups. Um, I think that not just, you know, the facilitators obviously modeled the behavior that they wanted to be seen throughout the span of the workshop, but they also were not afraid to just have fun. And sometimes I think in, um, you know, education, we we try to make sure that we're drilling down the information we want to get across. And in professional development, we know we have a short span to, to get that information across. But sometimes we forget that we need to tap into some creativity. We need to tap into some fun moments for people to have those touch points and, and things that will trigger their memories. And so that was another thing I felt that, that these facilitators really did a good job of with music, with different activities, with um, activities in large group, as well as the breakout groups. Um, And so that, that was what, what I felt that they really did well. Um, They really wanted to make sure that those people were engaging in conversations to make the most Um, effective use of time in the actual workshop itself.
1: So I I guess if I were to translate what you just said a little bit, Laura, would you say that they were authentic. Is that a good yeah. way of describing that, right? Yes. That they were, they were um, you know, being vulnerable, being real humans, taking advantage of opportunities for humor and what that's just really authentic. I feel like. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's an excellent way of putting it. Yeah.
1: Yes. Good. Okay. So, so we've got some of the stuff they did, you know, we could have improved on some of the stuff that was really good. Now I want to get into the, the really good stuff. This is what people want to hear how do they do their professional development right so so after you've done all this research so you've got your theoretical foundation you've got some stuff from that you've you've seen this workshop and what went well and what didn't What recommendations do you have for folks who are listening right now who need to do professional, who are putting together professional development themselves? And I'm taking notes. Don't worry. Um, Because we do a little bit of this.
0: Um, So uh, tell me, what do do we need to do to make professional development sticky? Excellent. So Frank and I have developed some recommendations for um, facilitators to incorporate before workshops even begin during the actual workshop itself, and then things that they could do really after the workshop to help the participants further engage in what was taught. Um, So we'll start by, by talking about information for before the workshop even begins. One of the things that we realized immediately was that facilitators are a huge disadvantage if they do not know their audience. So really developing an understanding of who their participants are what their goals and desires for the professional development are and the commonalities that that each of the participants have with one another because that can help kind of allow them to develop f- – you know, even stronger bonds with one another if they're familiar with what each other's commonalities are. And we really feel like incorporating these under, you know, developing these understandings will just allow facilitators to better develop activities and engage in conversations with the actual participants on a different level.
2: I think that's so spot on. And one of the things that you and I had talked about quite a bit, it doesn't have to be hard to do this either. It can be a simple survey ahead of time. Um, It could be, Um, A Google form that you send out to the participants a a week or two before the session. And if there is new content being taught and you have many different levels, being able to supplement what some of the people who have less familiarity with the content, uh, maybe some YouTube videos or a couple of articles so that they feel more on the same level, same page coming into the workshop as everyone else. So um, it sounds harder to do, but it's actually, it's it's a really easy step that sometimes gets overlooked in planning for PD. I'm
1: really glad you mentioned that, Frank, because one of the things I was going to ask you guys was, okay, so then you find out that everybody's different. What do you do then? But I think you hit upon the most Im- important part. And we talk about this just from a cognitive stance. The most important part is really knowing the, the prior knowledge that folks have, right? Mm-hmm. And being able to sort of differentiate in that way. And so I think, you know, Frank, you're suggesting it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to change the workshop and have multiple different versions. It can be just trying to bring some people up to speed, so they have some common language when the workshop starts. And um, maybe even d- differentiating in some of those breakout groups so that the folks who have a little mm-hmm. bit more can can chat a little bit more. Does that
0: sound right to you guys? Absolutely. Yes. Um, so then during the actual workshops, you know, some of the recommendations we had seem really simple and easy, but they're ones that I think just get overlooked in all the planning that, that goes into creating professional development. Um, and so some of those are, you know, to be intentional on how to create a safe space, um, how to create a space that's you know, people feel comfortable sharing and exchanging ideas in, um, how do you build trust? And to really think about how, who who are the people that you're trying to help build that trust with, I think is an essential component before really just jumping to, you know, the easiest way I can build trust is to be vulnerable myself. And then they'll model that as, well, what other things can you do to really get, get them to know each other where they feel comfortable building that trust with one another in these small breakout groups or in a larger group setting? Um, we often think about professional development as being designed designed to complete in short term um, spans, like one single workshop. Get get as much professional development as you can <laughs> crammed into that one hour or two hour workshop during you know sometimes educators' lunch breaks or, or whatever it may be. Um, but what we realize is that for professional development to truly be impactful. It needs to be ongoing. It cannot just be a one-off session that's being offered. It needs to be um, professional development that can be in depth and where people are allowed to connect with one another, where conversation is ongoing. Um, And what we found is this type of professional development leads to internalization. This is where you see habits um, truly changing as a result of what's being learned is if it's continuous. And, and really what Frank and I've found is that all of these recommendations that we have are really are not are not just recommendations for one and done workshops. they' they're recommendations for continued professional development. And then large group discussions, they can be effective, but again, we really found that the small group discussions were the most effective in helping learners, um, because they allow them to be more vulnerable, allow them to share and allow them to have their experiences validated. And then also for their peers to give their insight and their experiences um, and how to's and, and what ifs, um, which were really impactful in learning.
1: We actually um, just did a workshop this morning that was really fantastic. Um, we had a group of edu- it was on Zoom, but then we had this group of educators that all knew each other who were in a room mm-hmm. together. and. So they were having these like just really rich conversations about how they were going to apply all of this because they all knew each other. Right. And they were in this small group where they could be vulnerable. And we just really enjoyed just listening. We were totally eavesdropping on their conversation. And it was great. Um, So I think it's a really, really good point that um, trying to break people up and and getting everyone engaged is really
2: important. And one of the things we noticed, because we got to observe a couple of different workshops with the organization we were working with. And in the first workshop, less small groups occurred. And so after we discussed it with the participants, they were begging for more. They wanted more time. So in the second set of workshops, uh, the second round, um, every week, small group breakout groups were done over Zoom. And the results, when we surveyed and, and talked to the the participants, were way higher in the second round um, for that social connection. And it just proved what we were looking at. Like they really gravitated toward that and felt they got so much more from it because of that.
1: Perfect. Yeah. And so um, I feel like you guys maybe also have some recommendations about kind of the the content itself of the workshop. Yeah.
2: Sure. I'd, I'd be happy to share a little bit about that. Um, so earlier we mentioned some of the research we did was around goal setting. And as we look deeper into it, we realized that There are basically three things that need to be done together to be most effective. If you do goal setting just on its own, it doesn't necessarily make the changes. It still can be helpful, but doesn't make the changes for long-term application. And these three areas that that really need to be done in conjunction are the goal setting, self-monitoring, and reciprocal feedback. Workshops that contain these three elements are highly effective and more likely to result in change. Um, and so, for goal setting, what we mean by that is um, looking at how you set the goals with individuals. What do they want to get out of the workshop? What, how do they want to apply this into their their lives? And some of the the research that that really uh, spoke to this was uh, talking about limiting the number of goals sometimes people set way too many goals really you need one or two goals for the the workshop and how you want to change this habit in your life if you have too many things you're focusing on you just can't maintain that um, the second one is the goal needs to be specific and actionable um, being very specific about what you want to see um, we talk about being able to visualize what that goal looks like when it's completed um, you know short term Um, and long-term, distal and proximal goals. Being able to look at objectives and say, by this point, I wanna be able to accomplish this. By this point, I wanna be able to accomplish this. So basically putting in kind of a system around it. Um, Some other things around goal setting that we looked into is prioritizing objectives. So if you have a lot of different things you wanna accomplish, prioritize them to where you put the most important aspects first so that it makes sense on how you accomplish it. Some things may need to be organized in a certain way to where you accomplish one thing before you can even work on the next thing. So being able to look at that and being explicit in planning that huge was aligning your goals with your personal values. When they're aligned with your personal values, you're a lot more likely to pursue those goals, to look for them, um, to find other ways to apply your learning in different aspects of your life because it's personally valuable. Making sure the goals are challenging but still attainable and then celebrating incremental wins. And this is something that facilitators can definitely plan into their sessions. Uh, Just opening up the floor at the beginning of a session, being able to say, does anybody have a brag or a, a, a celebration on a goal they're working on or some progress that they've made? Or even whenever they break into small groups, giving the prompt to start by sharing something that they've Uh, Made progress on with their goal. Uh, Being able to do that keeps the goal in mind, but it also helps people to see those little wins, measure that progress as they're going on. So those are just some of the things with goal setting.
1: You know, what I find really interesting about this is the number of professional development workshops that I have sat in. That don't involve any goal setting whatsoever, right? That really, if we're if we're engaging in professional development, we are talking about wanting to change behaviors, to change habits. We want people to incorporate these things. And how many of these, I mean, I, I think it's probably pretty rare to sit in a professional development workshop and have anyone talk about, so, what is your goal? What are you going to change? Um, And let alone do it in such an intentional way um, that I think even just incorporating that would improve so many professional development workshops. So I just thought that was interesting.
2: I think what we see most of the time in a professional development is them putting up the facilitator, putting the objective up on the screen and saying this is our goal for the workshop. But that doesn't mean anything to the individuals. That's the goal for the, the facilitator or for the organization. It's not the goal for the individual person. There's a big disconnect between that. Um, and if you want people to apply the learning, that's not going to get it there. Uh, that's not going to get those people to that point.
0: No, no. And I also think that, you know, as an educator, there are some, like Frank was talking about, intrinsically motivated versus, you know, people who maybe are not being forced to engage in professional development. And I think that even if you aren't signing up for the workshop, on your own, if someone's making you do that, having that person really verbalize what their goal is for that workshop, I think will help get them invested in the actual workshop itself or whatever professional development it is. So I think that's another piece to it is whether you're being asked to engage in that or you or yourself are signing up. Declaring what your goal is or what you feel like you you would like to get out of it is going to be tremendous in in what you're actually going to get. Yeah. So instead of instead of
1: forcing people to see value in your workshop, ask them to tell you what the value is in your workshop and then they're going to be much more engaged. I like it. That's
2: right. And like Laura said earlier, a one and done workshop is not the most effective. And because with this, you're not able to really monitor that goal over time. And so if you do have sessions where you meet back monthly or every couple of weeks, being able to come back together and monitoring that goal, having time to talk with an accountability partner or share with someone about how you're what plans you're putting in place for that, what habits you're trying to change, um, really boosts that up. And then you get that feedback from one another. You're getting that reciprocal feedback you're giving and you're receiving. And a lot of times we can learn so much by giving feedback to someone about their goal about how we want to accomplish our own goal as well. So uh, those three elements of goal setting, monitoring, and reciprocal feedback all together can be extremely powerful. But again, it has to be done over time.
1: Okay. So um, is there anything else about like during the workshop that we need to make sure that we touch on before we talk about the after the workshop stuff?
2: Yes. uh, There are so many different uh, takeaways from the studies, but one of the things I really wanted to touch on is choice. We talked about autonomy earlier and adult learners want to have choice. They want to feel that they have some kind of decision making uh, for their learning, some kind of control over their learning. Um, And so a couple of things that we did was to come up with some questions for facilitators to think through as they're planning activities. When you're planning small groups, when you're planning that homework um, in between sessions that can help you to add choice, feedback, and collaboration for participants. And they're just simple questions like, um, is there an opportunity to give participants more autonomy or choice in the activity or small group? So maybe giving a couple options in the small group discussion instead of saying, I want you to just discuss this, giving them a couple of options. Or on the homework, instead of saying, you know, fill out the workbook, giving them an opportunity to say to reflect in a journal or to um, talk to a friend over the span in between workshop to workshop to discuss their thoughts and feelings on that. Those are just as powerful, if not more powerful ways of reflecting than just writing in a workbook, but it also gives people ownership over the, the learning and helps them. Um, and so thinking through questions like that, or even just how can I set up a structure in this workshop for people to give feedback to one another um, during the small group or during the, Homework Over the time that we break apart, giving people accountability partners that they can meet with beyond the workshop or in between the workshops, things like that can really help. And then engaging people in collaborative problem solving instead of putting people just in a small group to discuss something, putting them in a small group and giving a scenario for them to talk through and discuss is a way of kind of taking it, making it one more fun more collaborative, but also allowing them to bring their own, their selves into it, which makes them feel more autonomous and more in control. So those things can really make a big difference um, for learners in a workshop.
1: One of the things that um, I've started doing in my course at the end of the course is I, I put folks in small groups and I tell them, in whatever medium you want, give me the story of this course, right? In whatever medium you want. So it can be a a slideshow with bullet points if you want to just do a presentation, or it can be you know, a video or whatever you feel like doing, and then I give them a bunch of time to work on it, and it is one of the more successful activities that folks engage in because they're having fun with it, right? And they're being creative and they're utilizing their different strengths. So um, I think it's a really, really uh, important and good point, and something that I can probably work on myself, both in in courses and professional development. So that's great. Okay, so um, you know, Frank, you just mentioned some stuff about. After the workshop, right, and doing some of that reflection, or even having that accountability partner after the fact, and I think that that, as you guys have mentioned, is the part that just gets ignored most of the time. We don't, we don't even think about after the workshop. The workshop is done. Um, so I guess talk a little bit more about that because I know that that you guys focused
0: on this as a pretty important aspect of making information sticky. Can't be one and done, right? right. I, I think that this this part actually came from both. Um, our research obviously but also what we gathered from participants who engaged in the workshop is that they truly desired for continued connection with one another Um, to help continue to form those habits that we mentioned earlier. So ultimately creating a plan for continuing to learn, um, whether that is through accountability buddies or whether that's through, you know, part two of the course or just reconnecting with your facilitator. Um, But what's the next step? So making sure before people depart, whatever training that they've, they've just encountered that you're making a plan with them for, what the next steps of that training are or what some of their goals that they should have after they finish the workshop now. Um, We talked about the accountability buddy and and how important that that can be for the goals and continual continual learning, but also challenging the participants to then become leaders of this work, to help facilitate discussion, to share what they know is just gonna further um, help them create those habits that we really um, want them to create after a professional development opportunity. And then what we found is that repeated and novel terms that were used in the workshop were ones that really stuck with participants the most. And so how do you weave some of that into your everyday language? How do you weave some of that terminology and to make it just common, common terms that you use, common um, language that you're using in your everyday life to really stick with you? And that's all I think a part of. You know, having a theme of the workshop, having these ideas and these goals that are represented in the workshop come to life following the workshop through that continued plan.
2: I know as a principal, I was very guilty of doing this quite a bit where I would lead a session uh, one week at a faculty meeting and then the next week a whole new topic, a whole new theme, something new that we had to focus on. Being a little more intentional, a little more thoughtful about knowing what our main goals as a campus were and being able to thread those into every training we do, whether or not we change topics or not, but still being able to look at those same themes. If we're talking about um, engaging students, every time we meet, being able to really go into the goals of engaging students and how we're doing that. Um, so having that golden thread that kind of runs through everything that you you intentionally put there um, is just so important. But it's easy to forget. I know I did it all the time as a principal, often forgot that.
1: Yeah, I think um, Frank, you're speaking to something that reminds me of of a, a thing that we talk about sometimes in my in my course, which is culture change, right? How do we change the culture? And I think that's exactly right. That if you really want to make real lasting change, it has to be embedded in just everything that you do. So it has to be this, this common thread. The other thing I was thinking, um, as you were talking, Laura, was just about, again, the spectrum of motivation that we have where we got folks who are a motivated, these individuals are not going to select an accountability partner and they are likely not going to voluntarily talk about this stuff ever again. Right. Um, and then you've got the intrinsically motivated people who are, are probably already having this conversations in everyday life. So, um, In thinking about those A-motivated people, I think even coming back to, Frank, what you were just saying about um, the the principle, right? The leader in the organization who decided these people needed to attend this professional development should be invested enough to then carry it on, right? To make that a part of language, to bring it back up, to maybe create some additional conversations or training um, after the workshop is done. Right. That 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 can still be a part of of meetings or or whatever it is that you're going to do. Like, hey, welcome to our Monday meeting. Now you're all going to talk to the person next to you about how you've engaged in the topic we talked about. So, yeah. Go ahead,
2: Frank. And I feel like it's it's as a leader, whenever I don't stick with something that I feel is important, if I jump from subject to subject or. theme to theme, it really, I don't know if the word is devalidates or it invalidates the um, importance of it. So those people who are on that lower end of the spectrum of motivation, it just basically is telling them this isn't important and I don't need to try to be motivated about this. So there's no desire to move toward more extrinsically motivated and toward that intrinsic motivation side. Because. My principal doesn't believe in that. The person who's leading this doesn't think it's important enough that they're going to stick with it week after week and keep bringing it up.
0: And I would say the same rings true for for why this is not a one and done. You know, these things cannot be implemented in one and done. In order for you and and who you're trying to provide this professional development to, to really feel like this is a worthwhile investment, that takes time, right? That you know, takes so much time. And, and time is, is so precious. That time is something... No matter what industry you're a part of, education or otherwise, you don't have it. And so by intentionally carving out time and saying this is important and we're going to create the time for it, um, you're further validating why the why behind this why this is important, and and hopefully that will then in turn help with that um, a motivated individual too.
1: Well, speaking of time, we could probably talk about this all day long, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the interest of time, we're gonna let our listeners go. But hopefully, this has really given some folks a starting point to to think about these concepts that um, really will go a long way in enhancing professional development. Um, so if it's okay with you guys, we can maybe include your um, contact information in the show notes. So if anybody has other questions or wants to get in touch and tell you how much they value your work, um, they'll be able to do that. Uh, so thank thank you guys for joining me today, for sharing your work, and um, we'll see you on the next Learning
0: Scientist Podcast.
2: Thank you. This was fun. Thank
0: you. This episode is funded by listeners like you. To support our work and gain access to exclusive content, visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash learningscientists.